0: In telling my mom's story, it's also in a way telling my story, which I Mm -hmm. hope that one day my son will be able to listen to this podcast and listen to the stories and read the books and really understand where he came from, but also to live his life with meaning and purpose
1: like to be born in Vietnam in the 1970s with a heart defect? What efforts would a mother make to ensure her daughter has a chance for life? How does understanding one's family history impact one's future? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski, and I'm a heart mom and the host of your program. Today's show is Vietnamese refugee, author, and heart warrior, and our guest is Amy M. Lee. Amy M. Lee was born in Vietnam and immigrated to the United States in 1980. The fall of Saigon propelled her family to embark on a treacherous journey to America. She lived in Seattle most of her life and worked for large corporations like Microsoft and T-Mobile. In 2017, when Amy's mother passed, Amy quit her corporate career to write her mother's story. Snow in Vietnam was her debut novel, published in 2019. Amy is a Vietnam War survivor and a congenital heart defect warrior. Today, Amy is a full-time author. She resides in Oklahoma with her husband and son. When she's not writing, Amy volunteers for a child advocacy center and serves as president of Oklahoma City Writers, Inc. She loves experimenting in the kitchen, reading books, playing mahjong, and watching football the Seattle Seahawks is her favorite team, not surprisingly, or ultimate fighting championship fights. Okay, that's got to be because of your son. That's not something I expected to learn about you, Amy. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Amy.
0: Oh, Anna, thank you so much. I feel so blessed to be here. And I think what you are doing is just amazing. And I know it takes a lot of work. So thank you again for doing this show.
1: Oh, well, thank you for coming on and tell me all about UFC. I have never watched a UFC fight. So what got you interested in that, Amy?
0: Yeah, I don't really know myself, actually. My son does do MMA, but that's because I push him to. He does a lot of Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Cool. Um, I always loved the sport of cage fighting. I used to watch UFC back in the old days when it was, gosh, it was when there was no rules in the cage.
1: My goodness. I would never have guessed that of you, but I guess that's because I don't really know anyone who does that. Both of my boys took martial arts training when they were young. They did taekwondo, mm-hmm. so they weren't doing anything in cages. <laughs> I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure they would have loved that though, but I've never watched that. My husband never watched that, so... Wow. That sounds interesting. I've seen memes and I've seen references to this, but it's completely outside of my realm of experience. Who's your favorite fighter?
0: That's a hard one too. Well, this Saturday, I'm actually watching the Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier fight over in Fight Island, which is Abu Dhabi. And I think it's to UFC 257. McGregor is definitely one of my favorites. And okay. I like his scotch.
1: <laughs> oh, you like his guy <laughs> Well, that doesn't hurt at all, does it? No. <laughs> well, Amy, let's talk about the heart. All of this stuff was fun, but let's get back to what we're here for. And that's to talk about you being a heart warrior. Tell me about your congenital heart defect and how it has affected you. I think the type of congenital heart defect that I had was
0: atrial septal defect. And I'm actually just learning a little bit about it right now. I had it when I was born. And basically, there was a hole in my heart, it caused the blood to flow poorly throughout the body. And um, I think because I was born in the middle of the Vietnam War, environmental factors, Mm. right, I think the environmental factors contributed to the defect. And with the hole in my heart and the murmur, it was definitely tough to live in a situation where there was no medical care in the 1970s, right? Well,
1: absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you were born in the 1970s. You were born in a war torn country. What was your mother's living situation at that time? So, my
0: mother was abandoned and betrayed basically by my father. And so, when the war ended in 1975, he left. Vietnam to go to the States. And my mom ended up being by herself with just me, a dying child. And she was a single mom and she did have her siblings and extended family, but we were all in the same situation. We were starving, you know, Mm -hmm. the Viet Cong had taken over and it was really hand mouth and day to day survival. So it was rough.
1: Absolutely. Now, did you have a home? Or were you actually having to move from place to place? We
0: lived near the Mekong Delta in South Vietnam in a little village called Tra Vinh. At one point, my mom did live in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. But she had to move back home to be with her family in Traven because being with your family is everything. And that's how we were able to survive is to pool in our resources. And I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but ultimately my mom had to sell contraband stuff and Western medicine that she found or stole to survive in the black market.
1: Wow. Unbelievable. We know that you had an ASD. Tell me how your heart is functioning right now as an adult.
0: It is functioning beautifully. I had open heart surgery when I was six years old, just right after my birthday when I came to the United States. And I think I was in surgery for about six hours at Seattle Children's Hospital. And I was at the hospital for at least a week. But I was brand new after that. And even though originally I was told I wasn't supposed to live till past five years old, after my open heart surgery, the doctors were like, come back and visit often, get your checkups. We want to make sure you live past
1: 18. So (laughs) everything uh, changed. Your whole outlook on life was able to change after you had that surgery. Yeah. And I'm turning
0: 47 this year. So it's been an amazing, I mean, I can't, say enough about the technology here in the u.s and access to medicine and you know just having insurance that's yeah, huge that and i was huge yeah i was just that listening is. to your previous podcast with your friend from india and just to not have insurance or any medical support it is really scary home
1: tonight forever by the baby blue sound collective
2: Please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
1: Amy, in the first segment, we talked a little bit about you and your mother being in Vietnam and you coming to the United States. But I want to get a little bit more specific in this segment. I know you didn't come alone to the United States, but you actually had a cousin who came too, right? That
0: is correct. My cousin, Tree, who was 17, he's 12 years older than I am.
1: So what are your strongest memories? Because you were still a very little girl when you came over. What do you really remember from that trip?
0: I had a happy childhood. It wasn't until I was older in my teens that I started to feel unhappy about how things were going. But I will say that my strongest memories of coming to the United States was flying on a 747 Boeing airplane and sitting up in the bubble with a movie screen and mm-hmm. all the food I could eat and drink
1: and <laughs>
2: yeah
1: yeah because it was different in the 70s my- they brought you peanuts and they brought you food <laughs> right yeah. I mean today they charge you for every little thing but not in the 70s oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It was
0: luxury. When Mm -hmm. you come from war-torn Vietnam to that, it's just amazing. It was the first time on an airplane. And when we landed, it was so cold because we were in our tropical clothes and we were so used to that kind of weather. Right. Right. Yeah. Hot and humid to cold, rainy Seattle. But our sponsors were amazing. And that's one of my biggest, best memories.
1: So talk to me about your sponsors, because I think you're the first person that I've interviewed who actually came as a refugee. I've known of some other people who came to get care for their heart defects, but they weren't actually refugees. How did you get to the United States?
0: So when we were living in the Galang refugee camp in Indonesia, we ultimately got sponsored, my mom, my cousin, and me. And we were sponsored by a Presbyterian church in Kent, Washington. And when we landed in Seattle, the whole church came out to greet us. And we met our sponsors, Mr. and Mrs. Van Zwolle. And they took us in and we lived with them for a while until we found our own housing. They have since passed, but I just recently connected with their son and their daughter after all these years. And yeah, it's amazing. Wow. So without the sponsorship, we would have had no way to navigate in the United States and learn the matrix of the culture and laws and all that stuff.
1: So did your sponsor also know Vietnamese? No, no. They were good old Americans, meat and potatoes
0: kind of people, Christian (laughs) families.
1: (laughs) I love your description.
0: (laughs) And it was great because we taught them how to eat certain Vietnamese foods. I mean, they didn't know what to do with us. So we love rice. We're the meat and rice kind of people and so it was a nice cultural exchange and I remember being five years old and my sponsor who loved blue cheese would give me a big morsel of it and I just gagged and it just ruined me for years I could Aww. not eat blue cheese um,
1: I can't eat it either I know I not eat blue he, cheese he, he, I like feta but, oh, but I love it now do you but, love it now I still don't like it I love it yeah. now oh. mold on your cheese it just doesn't seem right <laughs> And my husband loves it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an acquired taste. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this was a Christian family that took you in. So did you belong to their church?
0: Yeah. My mom, who was originally Buddhist, then became Catholic, came to the States and went to their Presbyterian Christian church. But she remained a Catholic and I was just an anomaly. And then when I got older, I decided to follow Catholicism as well.
1: How interesting. Yeah, there are some really good things that the different churches do, the Catholic churches or the Christian churches in going and rescuing people. But you don't hear a whole lot that they're rescuing them because they have a heart to fit. And that really wasn't the case. They didn't rescue you only because of that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought your cousin, right?
0: Yeah, I really don't understand why they sponsored us. We were only a family of three, which maybe that helped because it does cost a lot to sponsor. And if you have a big family of eight or 12, then chances are you will have to wait longer or get split up. And there's been families that go off to different countries only to reunite many, many years later. That would be so heartbreaking. Yeah, but I think my heart defect probably played a part in getting sponsored. Seattle Children's Hospital, I think is one of the best out there. And we were very fortunate. I turned six years old in July. And in August, I collapsed and ended up at Seattle Children's to have my open heart surgery. My doctor was Dr. Hall. And I don't know anything more than that. So I've been looking for him or her for a while. And so if he's out there or she's out there, I would love to be. <laughs> to love
1: if to connect. If you're out there listening to this show and you remember this sweet little Vietnamese girl and you're wondering what happened to her, we have a success story. Let's bring you together. That would Yay. be such a cool show. Lovely. Oh my goodness, that would be so amazing. Oh, so you were five years old. You came here. You were six. You collapsed. How terrifying must that have been?
0: Yeah, I I collapsed a few times, actually, but one particular situation where I felt faint and collapsed and fell down a flight of stairs. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, and that was what got us rushed to the hospital. And I will say, though, that one good thing that came out of it was, other than a new heart, obviously, but I learned my first English word there, and it was the word seven up because...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what Uh, you wanted to drink.
0: Yeah, it was either milk or 7-Up, and milk did not taste good to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, especially in your country, you probably didn't drink milk after you weren't nursing. It would have tasted strange. Or 7-Up would probably have tasted strange, too, but in a different way. Sugar. It's got sugar. (laughs) Absolutely. You're cousin who was 17 so quite a bit older than you and your mother and you all were so brave to come to the united states you settled in seattle tell me about what life was like you said you stayed with your sponsor family until you could afford your own place did you move into a vietnamese community after that or what was your life like
0: Well, we actually were in government subsidized housing for a year. We lived in an apartment complex and I was one of two Vietnamese kids in that elementary school in that apartment complex. It wasn't until a little bit later that there were more refugees, more Vietnamese that came. Mm -hmm. I was really young and I was very spirited, even though I was frail and blue all the time. i Always been able to hold my own. And so I remember a really good, happy childhood. I never felt like we didn't have enough food to eat or that I didn't have the toys that the other kids have or the clothes or whatever. We had a great community around us. I think it was when we moved to Orange County and I was in my early teens, in my formative years, that I started to feel a little bit worried about my heart surgery, my mm-hmm. scar. And that was the time when I was wanting to be noticed by boys and wanting to show a little bit more skin and living in California. Right.
1: You, yeah. Didn't you live in Seattle?
0: Right. You go from Seattle to California where the weather has completely changed. Yeah. But I was still wearing my turtlenecks, even though it was 80 degrees, or Aww. my crew necks, because I was so afraid to show any skin.
1: Right before that break, Amy, we were talking about those awkward teenage years. And you are not the first person to tell me that you didn't want your scar to be shown. That just seems to be so common. When did things start to change for you? Or maybe have they not?
0: It was when I came back to Seattle and finished high school and went to college that things changed for me. I actually reconnected with my first boyfriend that I met in California after being separated for a few years. And he was the one that really helped me to believe in myself and what I had survived. And he made me see that my scar was a warrior scar. that mm-hmm. it was the reason why I was here. And little by little, that turtleneck became a crew neck, became a v neck, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) still no bikinis, though, but I'm there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that. It seems like he was very supportive. And was he also instrumental in helping you recognize the value of your mother's story? No, not necessarily. I think
0: really it was my cousin, Tree. Okay. When I wrote my first book, he was instrumental in helping me to piece all the things together. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom had passed away. And that's why I decided to become an author to write her book. And I didn't have any of the information, just little bits here and there. So he was truly instrumental in getting my story written.
1: Are the two of you still very close?
0: We are. He lives in Seattle with his family. I'm here in Oklahoma, but we connect often and he's not on social media at all. So it's really up to me as the younger to pay tribute to the elder by calling him and texting him and what have you, visiting him. But yes, we are definitely very close. And it's a little bit challenging though, because of our age difference and because his Vietnamese is way better than than mine and vice versa. My English is way better than his. So We stumble along, but we manage (laughs) when we communicate.
1: That's interesting. So even though you grew up together, I guess by the time he got here, he was already a young man. How long did he stay with you and your mother before he went off on his own?
0: Not very long. When we came to the States, probably within the first six months to a year, he was starting to float out on his own. And he hated school. He mm. didn't have any friends, didn't learn the language, sure. missed his family back home. And he was always looking for something to do, someone to connect with. And ultimately, he found those people out on the soccer fields.
1: Um, ah, Yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm so happy he found them. Otherwise, yeah. I think he would have ended up in jail.
1: <laughs> oh, no. You see that happen with young men. I'm curious if he had family in Vietnam, why did he choose to come with your mother and you to the United States?
0: He had no choice, actually. My mom left Vietnam to obviously find medical care for me, but my uncle who was afraid that the situation was getting worse in Vietnam, he felt that it was worth the risk to send his oldest son with us. And he would rather have his son perish out in the open seas, in the South China Sea, than be put into a re-education camp or get killed by the Viet Cong. And so, he was under the impression that he was going to escort my mom to another village so that she could take up a residence there to teach. So it was a big shock to him to find out that we were actually escaping the country and that he was uh, never going to see his family again.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That must have been fairly traumatic for him.
0: Yeah, it was very stressful. But if you read my book, you'll understand what an amazing person he truly is because he was the main reason that we got as far as we did because he's so resourceful. He was never educated in school. I think he dropped out of school because of the war and the propaganda and everything um, pretty early on. And so he was very street smart, very resourceful, helped us to find money or gold when we didn't have any. My favorite story that he has told us was when he found some morphine at a local hospital, which was just basically across the street from where we lived. And he sold that on the black market for so much money. And that helped our family get by for a while.
1: Wow. Well, I know from having listened to you on another podcast, which is how I came to know you and how we came to connect that you were On boats. You just told me that you came over on a plane. So I have a feeling there were multiple means of transportation. Tell us about how you were able to escape initially because it wasn't on a 747, if I'm not mistaken.
0: That is correct, Anna. So it took my mom several attempts and several years to actually raise enough money to find our passage onto a rickety old shrimp trawler. In the middle of the night, we and 40 other boat refugees snuck out and ended up in the South China Sea. And we drifted there for about five days and four nights, I think it was, before we saw land. And we ended up going through the Gulf of Thailand. We ended up at this island, which we were then sent away. And we burned our boat and swam to shore and decided that, you know what, we're just going to sit here. And you government officials are going to have to figure out what to do with
1: us. Wow, you were able to swim to shore even though you were such a little girl and you had a hole in your heart and were probably small for your age.
0: I was born premature. I was very small and again, very sick and frail and malnourished. What got me to shore, honestly, is my mom threw me in the water and my cousin put me on a piece of wood, like a driftwood or something, a piece of the boat. And then my mom jumped in and swam to shore pushing me on this little thing
1: oh my goodness the love of a mother right absolutely yeah she's the best
0: strong brave
1: and that shows too though how your cousin was so resourceful to grab a piece of wood and put you on top of that wood because i can't imagine how you could have swum to shore
0: Oh, yeah. And a lot of people didn't know how to swim. And actually, a lot of the boat people who were planning their escape tried to learn how to swim before actually escaping. That was their plan was to learn how to swim first. But again, many didn't and many lost their lives. Wow.
1: How has learning your mother's story and telling her story in your book helped you to understand your own life story better?
0: We are all parts of a whole, right? And we come from the generation before us. So I think it's very important to have a strong foundation and pave that path for future generations. I know my mom did that for me and her family did that for her. In telling my mom's story, it's also in a way telling my story, which I Mm -hmm. hope that one day my son will be able to listen to this podcast and listen to the stories and read the books and really understand where he came from but also to live his life with meaning and purpose you know for his family in the right future.
1: because your mother sacrificed to give you a better life and you've made sacrifices so he can have a better life yeah exactly and so tell us the names of your books and where people can get your books I have a trilogy.
0: The debut novel is Snow in Vietnam, and that's about our escape from Vietnam, followed by Snow in Seattle, which is about us building our life in America in the midst of trauma and PTSD. And then the third book just published, it's called Snow's Kitchen, and it's actually a novella and cookbook. So the first part of the book is about my formative years as a teenager learning how to live a double life basically between two cultures. But then there's always food around us as I was growing up. And so the second half is actually a cookbook with all these recipes from my family and some that I've made up myself.
1: Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to get that one. My husband loves to cook. We love Asian food, all different kinds of Asian food. And so we love Thai food. I haven't had much Vietnamese food, I'll be honest with you. And I don't know what the difference is between Vietnamese and Thai food. I'm hoping they're somewhat similar. Can you tell me the difference? I think with Vietnamese, we were very brothy in our
0: foods. A lot of our foods are soup-based mm-hmm. and less saucy. I think and I could be wrong, but I feel like Thai food has a lot of sauce and a lot of peanut sauce, mm-hmm. whereas Vietnamese food is more of a fish sauce-based type of food.
1: Okay. Well, where can yeah. we find your book, Amy?
0: You can go to your independent bookstores and support them and they can get the book for you. Or you can go online like Barnes and Noble or Amazon and get the books there. It's available in three different formats: ebook, paperback, and hardcover.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the program today, Amy. It has been a delight listening to you and, and getting to know you better.
0: Thank you so much, Anna. It has been a pleasure. And I thank you so much for doing what you're doing for the community. It's been a pleasure having a chance to talk to you and listening to your podcast.
1: Oh, well, it, there's definitely a mutual admiration society going on here. I can't wait to read your books. And friends, make sure you check out her books. It's Amy Lee, but there's only one E. So it's super easy, just a few letters to type in there, A-M-Y, and she uses her middle initial, which is M, just like my middle initial is M. Mine's for Marie. What's your middle name? Do you mind if I ask?
0: It's Magdalena.
1: Oh, that's why you use just M. I get it. <laughs> your, your middle name is longer than your first name and your last name put together. <laughs> so true. But there's so many Amy Lees in the Vietnamese community.
0: So I have to somewhat distinguish myself.
1: There you go. So now we all know Amy Magdalena Lee, but she just goes by Amy M. Lee and it's L-E. And the books are again, Snow in Vietnam, Snow in Seattle and Snow's Kitchen. I hope I have you back on the show again sometime in the future, Amy. I know that we have more things to talk about. We're not done with you yet. You'll have to come back.
0: I would love to. Thank you.
1: Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back anytime. We have many, many shows in the archives, so you can check us out anytime you want. You can always visit us at our website, which is www.heartsunite the We have all kinds of resources there for the congenital heart defect community. Remember, my friends, you are not alone.
2: Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time.